0: Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about truth and grace boldly. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, friends, this is episode 108, and today I'm going to be talking with Hannah Anderson about the topic of discernment. Hannah is going to help us understand what discernment is and what it isn't. But maybe even more importantly than that, well, actually, certainly more importantly than that, she's going to remind us that. Our discernment doesn't save us and that because God is good and because his righteousness covers us, our sanctification, our salvation, and our appearance in eternity with him someday is not going to come from your discerning decisions or your ability to make wise and sound judgments about what you do or don't do. God is not standing back and looking to see what you do and deciding how he will respond based on our success or failure of upholding the law. He is always restoring. He is always making new. He knows that we will fail, and that is why he has sent his son, Jesus. So as always, keep that in mind as you're listening to us. Break down discernment and, you know, don't look to this episode to kind of help you be more judging or discerning even like uh, that's weird to even say that about an episode discernment's good but we just don't want to turn to it to be any sort of like hope for us because it is not jesus all right here's my conversation with hannah anderson okay well today i'm chatting with hannah anderson hannah thanks for being here today
1: i'm so glad to be with you
0: So I was telling you just just a few minutes ago that I've heard you on plenty of podcasts and, and read some of your work, currently waiting for your newest book to arrive on discernment. But that's kind of what I wanted to chat with you about today because it is something that I am facing every single day in my own life and it feels like a real challenge. So I would love to kind of like just glean as much wisdom as possible from you in a few minutes. But before we get into that, could you introduce yourself and your family to us?
1: Absolutely. And before I do, I just want to let you know, you know, you are not alone in this mm. feeling of needing discernment. Yeah. Part of why I even wrote the book, All That's Good, is because I was feeling a similar kind of disorientation. And it really was in context of my family life and even trying to parent and trying to raise my kids in a world that's Felt so upside down, but also so different than the one I had been raised in. Yeah. So, my husband Nathan and I um, live in Southwest Virginia. He grew up in this area, Appalachian Mountains. I'm from a similar mountain area, about oh four or five hours north. So, it was a really natural place for us to come back to. He's a pastor, and we have three kids who are just growing up before our eyes. Like. A 13-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And they're reaching that point where I can't really shelter them anymore. You know, the early years of development as a parent, you have a lot of control over what comes into their lives. And as they grow, you have to naturally let them venture out. And so my older two, especially, you know, they were going into high school and middle school and they're encountering all kinds of questions that I never even knew existed when I was their age. But beyond that, we also live in a world where we have so much more information and so much more access to information than we did even 15 years ago. And so I found that parenting is unique. Trying to navigate the world is unique, not just because we're you know, a couple decades down the trail, but we also actually live in a digital space where we have access to more voices, more opinions, more ideas, more ways of doing life than we ever had before. And we've got to make decisions in the midst of that.
0: So getting into the the topic of discernment, the topic of the hour, because you did write a book all about this. Well, you've written more than one book that I think touches on this topic, but this is something that man, as I said earlier, just is coming up so much for me right now. I don't know if it is my age or where my kids are at or just culture or the fact that I have a podcast. I don't know what it is. It's just probably all of the above. And I feel like it keeps coming up um, and facing me. The question of what is good? What is right? Where do we draw the line? And I personally have struggled with really finding a consistent answer. I feel like every time I'm kind of reinventing the wheel of, okay, well, in this scenario, you know, and so I do, I do have a lot of questions around it, but before we jump into it, can you kind of give us a definition of discernment? Sure. And I think it, this
1: is a concept that has as many definitions as people that or thinking about it one thing I found as I started writing it and I would share with people that I was writing this book on discernment everybody had a slightly different response to what they thought it was so some folks thought it was primarily a gut instinct you know you just kind of feel your way through a situation some people thought it was you know finding all that's bad with it with something like you are a really discerning person if you were a critical person Some people saw it as just kind of withdrawing from the world, you know, withdrawing into safe spaces. So you would be discerning if you only listened to Christian music, read Christian books, went to Christian doctors, you know, the the whole kind of living in kind of a Christian subculture. And so I also found that people thought it meant maybe having a hidden wisdom or hidden knowledge that nobody else had. So you were discerning because you knew something that nobody else did. And so right off the bat, I had to establish, well, what does the scripture say about discernment? How does the scripture present this concept? And you're not going to find a verse that says discernment is, right? But if you kind of study the passages and allow the scripture to unfold itself, the kind of categories and the way the scripture thinks about discernment is kind of twofold. One is the ability to know the difference between good and evil. So there is just that basic judgment of saying, this thing is good, Mm -hmm. this thing is not good. And you'll see that in places like Hebrews 5, it talks about being mature, having your senses able to discern the difference Mm -hmm. between good and evil. But it also has this extra layer that I don't think we always recognize. And a lot of times when the scripture talks about discernment, it talks about knowing the difference between good and evil so that you can pursue what's good or what's excellent. Paul talks about it this way in Philippians 1, 9, and 10, where he calls the Philippian believers, um, he says, I want you to mature in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your ability to discern so that you may approve things that are excellent Mm -hmm. or superior. And so there's that idea of moving toward goodness. And even Romans 12, 1, and 2, which is a passage I think, uh, we learn right away, as Christians in our discipleship of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Don't be tr- conformed to the world's way of thinking, but you know, have your mind transformed. And the reason you're transform, you're being transformed is so that you can pursue the good and perfect will of God. And so, I think what we sometimes misunderstand about discernment is it's not just judging between two things. It is judging between two things so that you can move toward and embrace good things. So you can move toward and embrace goodness. And the thing that was fascinating to me as I kind of watched the scripture unpack these categories and it unfolded itself, I thought, well, you know what? That's exactly how we talk about discernment more broadly. So when we're not talking within a Christian subculture or within our spiritual life, we talk about a person having a discerning eye or discerning palate or a discerning ear. And what we mean by that is, they are an expert or someone who has the ability to taste a cake and know if it's good and be able to know the difference and then for the enjoyment of it. So it's someone who can listen to a song and know the quality of it. So what I think perhaps we don't always understand is that the invitation to discernment is not just an invitation to see the evil in the world and to stay away from it, it's actually an invitation to move toward goodness and particularly the goodness that God has built into the world and the goodness that reflects
0: his character. Wow. That's a very robust understanding of discernment. And it's, it's one that I don't think I grew up with that understanding. I think I was very much on the side of what you're describing. I know we have listeners, you know, here listening to this from all over the spectrum in terms of what kind of family life upbringing they had. But I was raised in an extremely legalistic church that was very heavy on talk around uh, the depravity of man, the atonement. I mean, like deep theological truths. Not, I'm not saying any of that isn't true. It just was like all so weighted heavily to that side. And there was definitely kind of an obsession with maybe being able to recognize the difference between good and evil and calling out the, the bad and, and focusing almost more on the bad than the good. And what is interesting as I've gotten older and gained a little bit more wisdom than I had in those younger years is that I've realized that doesn't actually lead to a life of goodness or it doesn't lead, lead to a life of virtue, as I've heard you say before. It doesn't necessarily, just because we can recognize good and evil doesn't actually mean that we are living out as living, like living sacrifices to God. Like that verse in Romans says, yeah, it's just been pretty convicting for me realizing how much of my focus has been on being able to see, okay, truth, lie, truth, lie, good, evil, you know? And that is, I'm not saying we abandon that pursuit entirely, but help us like think about how do we move from that into actually doing more than just that? Because I don't think that that is, like you said, I it just doesn't feel like that's actually what God meant by, you know, calling us to that. Right. And I think you make a really good point that it's not the
1: abandonment right. of recognizing evil exists, right? We're still aware that this is a broken world, that there is sin in the world, there's sin in us. There are things that Mm -hmm. will harm you if you go after them and take them into your life. And so it's not that we deny that category. The question is, what is fixating us and what are we moving toward? In my own life, I had a similar background in terms of a little more legalistic structures, traditions. And I, as an adult, and especially as a young parent, I came to an awareness that, okay, I'm moving away from that. I, I can see the limitations and the weaknesses of that approach, not just to my faith, but to living in the world at large. But then I found that I didn't have anything to replace it. So You know, a listener may come to the realization that I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be obsessed with just finding out what's wrong with something. I don't want to to live in a bunker, you know, feeling like I'm always under attack. That's one decision. There's a totally separate decision, a parallel decision that says, okay, but what am I going to do? How am I going to make choices? How am I going to move forward proactively into the world? And I think that's where, you know, kind of making our definition of discernment a little more robust Mm -hmm. helps us because we're not denying that there is good and evil in the world and we must discern between the two. But we're adding to it this sense of now go find the good. Your life, you know, your walk with Christ is about discovering all the ways that he is good and all the ways that his goodness is built into the world. And we also have to be careful to have a very robust definition of goodness in that case. It actually expands our minds to say, well, what is good? It's not just what I like. It's not just what is pleasurable to me. Right. Not just what makes me comfortable. Like goodness is this whole category that I'm going to move into and explore knowing that it reflects the character
0: of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I I think I'm just at a, a place in my own personal life. It probably has nothing to do with the things I mentioned earlier. It's just, it's my own spiritual development that is realizing that upbringing, that propensity, that tendency for me to focus on the evil and then bunker away. Like that was my listeners kind of know some of my background, but I was homeschooled through sixth grade. My parents didn't want to send us to public school. So they started a private school. Now I have a daughter who's almost five. We're looking at what are we doing next year? And all of a sudden, all of these like things that I didn't realize were so built into me. So these very deep-seated kind of beliefs about the world, beliefs about good and evil, wrong and right, the best decision versus like, you yeah, know, a worst decision, are starting to surface. And I'm really trying to sift through like, wait, what if this is actually real? What if this is actually true? And what if it is really just more based in fear or based in pride even? And man, yeah, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. Like you don't just kind of get to the core all at once. It's sort of like, okay, well, if this, then that, and just, you know, starting to have those conversations. So this is definitely timely for me. What would you say is if you could talk for a second about how fear and pride play into discernment, because I think that is, you know, for someone like me who's kind of coming out of a a history or a background of that, I still find myself tending towards the valuation of kind of like, I want to label things as good or bad, or you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's overly simplistic. It's not always that you shouldn't do that, but it can lead to maybe just sitting in more of an environment of fear or pride, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think if folks are surprised by the definition of discernment that I give, how it differs from the way we think about discernment, I think the second thing they're surprised by most is to find that discernment is not just about the decision that you make. Mm -hmm. It's about who you become. Mm -hmm. And so it is not surprising at all that on the process to making decisions, we would suddenly have to confront things like fear and pride. Mm-hmm. The process of growing in discernment and the way the scripture talks about becoming wise is not about making the quote unquote right decision mm-hmm. that then makes you a good person. It is that you would be transformed in your own spiritual walk you would become a person whose mind and heart more reflects the mind and heart of Christ and you would be made wise. And then out of that wisdom would flow good decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think what is challenging about that way of approaching life versus a more legalistic, make this right decision, make that right decision. If you just find the right church, if you just find the right school, if Mm -hmm. you just marry the right person, so much of that is external. And we put our weight and our righteousness on those things outside of us. And we could successfully navigate life and never have to change hmm. as long as we make the right choices outside. And so, what this approach and the way the scripture talks about being made wise is that it is actively, the Holy Spirit is like actively pinpointing the way we sell sabotage yes. in our decision making because of fear and pride. Yeah. And so, Just simply, pride itself will stop us from even seeking wisdom. So if we are proud that we've made the right decisions, that we know what the right decision is, that we don't have anything to learn, that pretty much guarantees that we won't learn anything Mm. because we don't even have a category that we would need to be instructed. And so over and over again, when we see people in the scripture, whether it's Solomon or it's the New Testament writers, when they talk about seeking wisdom, it begins by humbling yourself before God and saying, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what the right answer is. James says, you know, if any of you lack wisdom, let him come to God who is not going to reproach you. He's not going to shame you for not knowing what to do. And so I think just in a very simple, practical way, Pride that seems so esoteric really can sabotage our everyday decisions by the simple fact that we don't stop long enough to search the scripture. We don't stop long enough to pray. We don't stop long enough to listen to mature believers. We don't stop long enough to research and find out from experts. We just assume we know. Yeah, um, th- All of those things are going to lead us to really bad decision-making
0: and it makes it so easy. I'm speaking from personal experience. It makes it so easy, like you said, to go through life and not have to look at yourself. You don't actually have nothing about what you are doing has to change because you are so accurately calling things out and, or holding others accountable. Even, I mean, this is like my literal high school years were, were this like literally one time I remember there was a girl that I knew in my, Christian bubble high school who was, you know, engaged in some stuff with a guy that I knew about and and she was a little younger than me. And so I thought I'm going to be like, I'm going to disciple her. So I pulled her into an empty classroom and tried to have a chat and talk to her about how this was not honoring to God or this was not, whatever she was doing was not whatever upright or godly. I mean, just whatever my, my category was, that's, that was my approach. And yet the irony is that I was engaged in the exact same things and I did not see a problem. I mean, if you can, if you can even, it's, it's hard to even fathom, like saying that out loud, like really, how could you not see that, that, but when you are so focused on everything outside of you, it, the, the enemy truly uses that to completely blind you to yourself and make it so that you, well, your actions are kind of like Well, that's not anybody else's problem. You know, I'm really worried about what's out in the world. I've got to like, I've got to, you know, be the police officer. My parents used to even tell me you are not the police officer of the family. So man, I'm just revealing my own, you know, struggle with that. But it's so true that it is not simply about the good and evil out in the world, but the evil that is, you know, within us as well. I think that, you know, Satan's okay with us being, really aware of right and wrong as long as we make it about everybody else and not ourselves right like as long as we can just remain focused on everybody out there then he can do whatever he wants inside of us and 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 we aren't living into the freedom that we've actually been called to in Christ we're living as slaves so just I feel the reality of that and the weight of that in my own story yeah and I am Kind of frame the majority of the book around Philippians
1: 4 8 and 9, which is the passage that Paul calls the Philippian believers to actively go seek whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable. And so it's got this forward action move out into the world, go look for Mm -hmm. these things. And as I was studying that passage, I realized how often I had heard it preached or presented as a filter in reverse a a negative, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And what was fascinating to me as I really dug into the logic of that kind of structure is Paul is saying, okay, go find truthful things in the world, go find truth, let truth be your guide in the world um, as you make decisions. And what's beautiful about that is if you are actually pursuing truth you're going to end up finding God. You're going to end up ultimately at Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But on that route, you're going to have to be tested as much as everything else that you're testing. So if you're just looking for the right decisions and the right categories, like you said, you could potentially head there with never having to have your own heart confronted with whether you're truthful. Mm -hmm. So, having something objective like truth, though, yes, we're going to test is this idea truthful? Is this book truthful? Is this speaker speaking truth? But it also turns back on us when we're making a decision Mm -hmm. because we also have to say, Am I being truthful in my handling of this situation? Am I being factual? Do I have all of the facts or am I operating on something other than truth to make my decision? And so what really we're being called to in becoming discerning people is letting the character of God confront not just the world around us, but the world inside of us too. And like you and I both know, legalism will never confront the
0: world inside of you. Right. Oh, yeah, that's so good. That's so true. As I'm sure you've noticed, we as mamas have a whole host of varying voices coming at us every single day, telling us what we should and should not be doing as moms. Add to that the sometimes confusing messages we hear from church about a woman's highest calling or what kind of work we as women should be doing, and confusion, mommy wars, and overwhelm quickly abound. That is why previous Kindled guest, Rebecca Hargraves, wrote lies moms believe and how the gospel refutes them. In this book, Rebecca tackles 32 of the most common lies moms today face, including lies about their children, themselves as moms, and motherhood in general with the truth of the gospel. You will walk away not only encouraged, but also inspired by just how relevant the good news of the gospel is to your daily life. Find out more at HargravesHomeAndHearth.com slash boutique or search Lies Moms Believe on Amazon. All right, back to my conversation with Hannah. So as we're kind of venturing along that journey, wherever people are in that journey in their own lives, you're going to run into the tension. I don't know if you would have a better word for it, but the tension between truth and grace. And this is something that's talked a lot about in Christian subculture, you know, truth versus grace, kind of like, whether it's, you know, confronting a friend or a family member, like, well, you know, I've heard people say, you know, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not calling people out, not showing them their sin, right? So like, you should be kind to them, you should just show them all the grace, and that God will himself draw them to back to himself if they are wayward, But then, you know, we've got the other side of the coin, like, well, speak the truth in love, you know, so then I feel like that's a real tension that people are trying to work out in all kinds of scenarios. What wisdom have you kind of, could you offer us in that journey? I hear everything you're saying, because one of
1: the residual effects, if you have grown up in a more critical environment, is you want to be careful not to become that anymore. You want to be so careful to say, I know the damage that can cause. I know what kind of nitpicking can do to a community and to other people. So I'm just going to go 180 degrees the opposite direction. And I don't need to say anything controversial or difficult or, or, right, or Just be, be agreeable and be loving. Right. Yeah. Be agreeable and be nice. And the tension though, is that I think that misunderstands what truth is. And I think what we need to do is reclaim the goodness of truth that has been taken from us Mm -hmm. by communities that use truth as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And to understand that truth is for the purpose of wholeness, for the purpose of unity. If you have seen, quote unquote, truth used to divide It's very easy to think that's what the truth does. What's fascinating is that the truth actually unites us Hmm. because it gives us a common understanding of the world. Right. And I think if you're on social media, you don't have to be on there very long to realize that everyone has kind of created their own version of truth. Yeah. And the algorithms of Facebook and our Twitter feeds actually support these private universes or the kind of silos that we can enter in and never be confronted with anything different than what we want to hear, whether you're progressive or conservative is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And what happens when everyone has a private definition and interpretation of truth is that we get fragmented and isolated from each other, mm-hmm. and we cannot understand each other. And it results in conflict and division. And so what Truth actually does for us is it gives us a baseline for reality Mm. and it gives us the opportunity to begin to build community based on shared beliefs. So, even something as simple as the creeds, like Christian creeds, that we would confess that I believe in these things, that is a confession of truth. That is a confession of saying we are bound, we are united, we are joined together in community around these fundamental truths. So then the question comes well, when do you need to speak up? When do when you see something that is not truthful, how do you go about saying what needs to be said? And I think it all comes back to remembering the goal of truth is not to be right, the goal of truth is to unite in the reality that God has created. Mm -hmm. So my goal in reaching out or confronting if that's the language you want to use or saying something truthful is always toward goodness. Mm. It is not toward I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah. It is not toward Jesus loves me more because I have these right positions or opinions. Mm -hmm. It is, Oh no, if we are not in the reality that God has created, Mm. we're going to be isolated from each other. It is, this truth will do damage if it is not present, and so even with my kids, I'm trying now. You know, there's no one you love to correct more than your in siblings. So, yeah. we'll oh, the dinner table, and they'll be telling each other why they're wrong. And I have started to try to ask them, okay, I say, first of all, are you saying this just to be right? And mm-hmm. if you are, then you just need to be quiet because you need to get your heart right. Attempt that. Now, if you can say this with the motivation of healing and hope and unity, because you see a danger and you need Mm. to warn someone you love from the danger, Mm. say it. And I think that's where a lot of times the problem isn't truth versus grace or truth versus love. It's that a lot of us understand truth to mean I'm right, you're wrong.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah. That we could do a whole episode on that topic right there. That's so true. And that truth, like when, back when you said we need to reclaim truth, I think you're hundred percent right. That truth has been hijacked and made into a weapon. Now, both by those who would claim absolute truth and those who don't, right? Because it's demonized from the side of those who say, well, no, there is no absolute truth. You know, my truth is my truth. Yours is yours. You do you. And I will leave you alone as long as you leave me alone and don't infringe on me. And then by the other side, you know, to do the opposite, to say you have to abide by this or else whatever. And if we're operating in that understanding, then we really have no basis to move forward and speak the truth and love because it doesn't even exist, right? Like truth and love isn't even a thing. If that's how we understand truth to be. But if we understand that truth comes from God and he is the basis of truth and he is the creator of truth and the the one who upholds everything and keeps truth even being true, then we don't have to be so afraid of it. It doesn't mean that it isn't going to ever cause division in the sense of like a relationship, that if you were to even go ahead and do that thing, say that thing in love, With this purpose of seeking unity, it doesn't mean it'll always be received well, right? I mean, there's the reality that the other person, it's on them. They get to decide their response or, you know, how they receive that and what they do with it, which is hard for us because I think everybody wants to be liked and wants to remain kind of agreeable. But yeah, I don't know. Do you have any like tips as far as how we do that in relationships well? Yeah, I think absolutely the first thing we do is we wrestle with our own heart before God. Mm-hmm. So
1: if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't felt the weight of it, if you're enjoying telling someone the truth, right, you need to get into your prayer closet mm-hmm. and you need to do some serious work with God because your heart must be in a place where it is humbled before the Lord, mm-hmm. where it is broken for the thing that you see that is dividing people or for mm-hmm. the the truth that is not being preserved and held safely. yeah, And it must have a heart of goodness and a trajectory of goodness. So very first thing is to wrestle with it. I also think that part of that means partnering with God for the circumstances to be aligned before you speak. I think it's very easy when you feel the weight of something, if, you're in a position where your heart's right before God, you honestly are loving this person and you feel the weight of it. Our selfish tendency is to want to get rid of that weight as soon as possible. And so we will say, well, I need to tell them right away because they need to stop. They need to know right away. And what we really want is I don't want to be responsible for this anymore. I don't want to feel this weight. So I need to get it off my chest as soon as possible. And so sometimes we will just rush to speak before the circumstances are prepared or the other person's heart is prepared. And a lot of that is being motivated by our discomfort. And so partnering with God, if we believe that he is sovereign, if we believe that his providence rules over the kingdom of men, we also believe that he's at work in this other person, that he's setting up their life. He's causing things. He is positioning them to be ready to receive a word that he may call us to give. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I do is just pray, make it clear when and how I'm supposed to speak, make the circumstances right, make it quote unquote natural. Let it be something that I know beyond a shadow of doubt that the Holy Spirit is saying, go now and don't let me go before and don't let me go after And that kind of dependency again springs from the humility of saying, I'm simply acting on behalf of God in this situation. Mm -hmm. I am not doing this to prove I'm right, prove you're wrong, force anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I am actually doing this as a person who loves this other person. And in partnership with the Holy Spirit and the work that God is doing in their life, I'm speaking when He calls me to speak. And that I think requires a level of patience and maturity and dependence on the Holy spirit that I think a lot of us just don't have. And we really don't want to do the kind of work that it takes to be in that place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just reminding ourselves when we do get tempted to believe that the buck is with us or something, you know, like everything depends on our showing up and saying the right thing and calling it out. And, and almost as if like there's a sense of urgency that if I don't say it now, I never will get a chance or evil will just overtake, like trusting in the sovereignty of God, you know, that he is actually bigger than this situation and that it is not, that the axis of the earth does not center on you, you know, is helpful for me. I think when I do get into that space of like, there is a sense of urgency and I'm, I'm acting out of fear or pride or whatever self-righteousness. And then, you know, it just never goes as well. It really, I found it just doesn't go as well. As we are, you know, a lot of the listeners have kids school age, you know, maybe starting at elementary, kind of getting into some of this with our kids. How do we help not raise little legalists? Because (laughs) frankly, I'm already seeing some of those traits in my own daughter that I have and, you know, seen in myself for 30 years. And it's like, I I don't want to damage her sense of right and wrong or, you know, the reality that yes, there is, there is a right here. Yeah. I'm glad you know that. But also it's more than that. It's bigger than just being able to be found in the right when your mom and dad come into your room and it's clean or that you weren't the one who took the cookie from the pantry. It was your little sister, you know, those types of things. Like, I don't know, how do we instill that understanding in, in our children?
1: Well, I think, you know, we have to understand it at a base level that we're all legalists. It's not just our context. It's mm. not just what we grew up with. I think it's possible for our context to reinforce and to reward our natural bent to legalism. And I think that perhaps is what we mean when we say I grew up in a legalistic context. That the context rewarded the self justification that was natural to our human heart and Mm -hmm. didn't confront it. So our kids are going to be legalists just because they're human beings. And I don't think it should surprise us or shock us, or we should not worry when we see it happening as if something uniquely wrong is happening Mm -hmm. this is just common it is what we do but I also think we can't reward it so it may not be correcting it every time you know it may not be calling it out all the time but it might be something as simple as not listening to it not listening to the tattletale not giving it airtime, not paying attention to the kinds of comments, not rewarding them Mm -hmm. with that kind of affirmation. So I think that's a you know kind of simple practical thing is when our children act that way, we don't reward it. Yeah. Yeah. I also think kids turn into their parents, right? We all turned Mm -hmm. into our mothers. (laughs) It's just what happens. So if we want to see our children become certain people. We have to become those people first. Mm. So yes, we are focused on parenting them, but mostly what we're focused on is becoming the kind of people that we hope they will be one day, that we confront our own tendencies toward legalism and self-justification, that we are walking in grace and that we're doing it in front of them. So one of the things that I had people ask me about, you know, how do you teach your children discernment? How do you teach them this kind of life? We're doing it with them all the time. We are not in any way suggesting that mom and dad have their act together. (laughs) You know, like there is this separation where mom and dad are all wise and all knowing. They are seeing the process. They are seeing us apologize. They're seeing us wrestle with decisions. In front of them, weighing the pros and cons, not just going off to our bedroom and coming up with a decision and then coming out and saying, This is the decision, thus they have mommy and daddy. And this becomes more of a reality as your children get older. Mm -hmm. But the best time to start with this is when they're young. Yeah. And you have the ability to create an environment where it is natural for them to see you growing in grace, growing in dependence, growing in humility, and then they are simply following along the path that you are cutting for them by your own spiritual walk.
0: That's so good. Yeah. And what, and i focused a lot on the legalistic side because that's where I came from, but you know, the opposite of that being licentiousness or license, would you say just kind of working that out the same way for the woman listening? Who's like, that isn't necessarily our struggle. Maybe my struggles on the other end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I do think we also have a responsibility as parents to not just let life be a free-for-all, that anything goes, that there are expectations. Grace does not mean that there are not things that are truly good or right, that God has made the world to work a certain way. Grace does not mean that we deny those realities. It means that when we come up short, God's mercy and righteousness is what carries us and covers us and what enables us.
0: So Mm -hmm. you really
1: can't have grace if you don't have a standard of what is true and what is just and what is lovely and what is pure. So we're not saying anything goes. We're saying that the process of moving toward goodness is that one that the Holy Spirit is enabling in us and that goodness actually exists. Yeah, and so with my kids, yes, there are things that I say objectively, this is not good. This is not a good thing. Yeah. This is why as a family, maybe we have this expectation or we have this behavior requirement because we believe this thing will move you toward this goodness. And, and again, that's not to say there's no rules. It's just what is the point of the rule. Mm -hmm. Is the role to help guide you toward goodness or is it to self-justify? Is it to um, make yourself
0: good? Wow, that's so helpful. My final question would just be what encouragement would you have that you could offer about when we get this wrong? Because I know I'm thinking of many times recently, even in the last couple of weeks, where I didn't make the right call in how I shared truth. You know, I did jump the gun or I did kind of move from a place of wanting to correct or prove myself right or show myself to be, you know, in in some higher moral standing than someone else. So, what do you say to? to us when we're in that spot.
1: Yeah, the the thing about discernment is it's the kind of thing that you can only learn by doing. Hmm. We can have all of these theoretical conversations, but the inherent nature of discernment is making decisions. So you have to leave these conversations and go make actual decisions. <laughs> and it's paralyzing if you think, "Oh, I'm going to get this wrong." And that thought that you could get it wrong would actually lead you to be stuck, where you don't make any decisions whatsoever. You may not make bad decisions, but you also don't make good ones. And so you're not actually moving forward toward goodness. So what you have to have, if you're going to actually pursue goodness, is the safety that you know, even when you make mistakes, that God's grace and his righteousness is covering you. Mm -hmm. That it never depended on your ability to make all the right decisions in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm-hmm. that is a way we can slip up is even if we have a vision for discernment as pursuing goodness and we understand this more robust vision and we want to move away from like legalistic categories, we can still fall into self-dependence by saying, well, I'm going to go out and make the right decisions now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to try and the Holy Spirit is going to confront you and you're going to fail and you're going to be restored and you're going to learn and you're going to go back and you're going to try again. That's the whole point of our Christian walk. Yeah. That The Holy Spirit is actively leading us to truth, not that we've arrived. And it is the grace and kindness of God, the fact that he is a good God, That goodness is his nature, that he is not standing back kind of looking at us saying, okay, let's see what decisions you make and then we'll see how you stand. He is actively walking through that process with us and restoring when we do get it wrong.
0: Man, that's so true and so comforting on every level, really. So thank you so much for sharing just what you've learned and all of this goodness with us. Where can people stay connected with you and and find more of your work?
1: Well, I do have a website. It's www.sometimesalight.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Hannah Anderson. I'm on Facebook, Twitter sometimes. I'm out there. But if you head to the website, sometimesalight.com, you should find
0: links to everything else. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in. Come back next week. I'm going to be sharing a conversation that I had with my friend and a woman who goes to church with me, Sarah Guild, about truth and grace. The two keywords, I guess, when it comes to Kindle, that's the new tagline, truth and grace boldly. And I actually had this conversation with Sarah before I changed the tagline because it really, truly is a topic that is so meaningful to me and one that I continue to struggle with, to wrestle with, to try and better understand what it looks like for me to live out both of those things in my own life. And Sarah and I talk all about those two things. So it's going to be a great episode. Until then come find me on Instagram and say, hi, it's Haley Kindled. If you haven't left a review for the podcast, I would love to invite you to do that on the Apple podcast app and it doesn't have to be super long, but I always just like hearing from you guys. It's really rewarding and fun to hear what you're liking and how this podcast slash ministry is meeting you in your day-to-day life. Uh, you know, it's a little lonely here behind the microphone, so it's nice to see you guys kind of showing up, whether that's on social media or in a review, whatever it may be, but I'd love to meet you. So come say hi to me on Instagram. All right, guys, have a great week.